0: Welcome to the podcast series of the UNESCO Chair in Refugee Integration through Languages and the Arts. We bring you sounds to engage with you and invite you to think with us.
1: Hello, everybody. My name is Angelika Mitzner, and um, I'm a research fellow at the Institute for African Studies and Egyptology at the University of Cologne. I have various research interests. Um starting from descriptive and sociolinguistic aspects of nilotic languages. I have written a grammar on a nilotic language um, which uh, took me five years of my life and was um, highly interesting. I'm also concerned with language styles in fleeting relationships in tourism and uh, critical heritage studies. I conducted most of my research in Kenya as yeah, the, the nilotic language um, but um, also other topics that are of my um, research interest, like the topic that I'm going to talk about today on, um, on, on reciprocity in Digo language. I'm joined today by my colleague Anne Storch. And
0: that is me. Um, we've been working together for many years on tourism, language and tourism in Africa and elsewhere, and published on this particular topic quite a bit now. We've also been working together in terms of looking at uh, particular features of multilingual languages, various topics in social linguistics, and also in um, critical heritage studies. I'm also interested in my own research, apart from these fields in certain languages that I studied and uh, describe like Hone spoken in Nigeria, Jukun language, and then Luo spoken in the in South Sudan, in um, in some part of Baka El Razzal, an Atlantic language. And I'm not so much only interested in in grammar writing and such things, but what I'm always finding relevant is to look at context, to look at what is not obvious, and so on what I've been doing in the past years, 10 years or so, was um, to also um, interrogate these uh, forms of dealing with African languages, the knowledge that is produced and so on, and to to look at what what could also be said, what is also there. So starting from a very traditional, from a very traditional education in African linguistics where we uh, do comparative work and descriptive work and so on. I worked my way into a rather critical um, stance and now very much I'm engaged since many years now with the colonial foundations of the field and the very problematic ways in which knowledge is produced there.
1: Um, And our interest that we had, um, we wanted to share and um, it was um, between the 17th and the 28th of May this year in 2021 um, when the UNESCO RILA team organized the annual spring school, the arts of integrating and it was around the theme of May Day, so we were there. Um, And we led a workshop entitled Reciprocity and the Senses, A Reply to May Day. Yeah, to give you a short idea of uh, what the workshop was about, to bring it together, it was about living and healing knowledge and practices of salvation, of hospitableness and conviviality that remain to be meaningful to many who fail from colonized and marginalized societies. It was a a, a wonderful, yeah, a a wonderful idea so that we could start reflecting about um, our research, what we had done, um, how can this be brought together with this, yeah, with this plea for May Day. And yeah, I I think it worked out well and uh, we we structured the, We structured the workshop so that each of us could participate, Anna and me, with um, our own findings that we had.
0: Exactly. We thought maybe it could be interesting to bring our research into um, a space where you do not really have these traditional presentations that academics normally do and show that when we were engaging with particular languages and the environments in which these languages are at home. And of course, most of all, with people who speak these languages and were kind enough to share knowledge with us, we, we, always, we always operate in, sorts of in a field that is historically uh, connected With us through the experience of colonialism imperialism and in the past decades tourism which is not an easy trade so what happened was that we began asking ourselves what have we learned when we were when we were working and doing the work that is academic work and working on projects and, and and such stuff and it was incredible what we learned was that mayday is a very average thing to experience right to be in distress to face a catastrophe and to cry out for help And to offer help is something that people all the time do in an utterly disastrous world that is shaped and continues to be shaped by colonialism and imperialism. And it's not a hospitable place to many. And still, there is this tremendous creativity, this enormous power that people have In order to create something living and something hospitable and and something open and sometimes one is invited to share and is offered some some kind of knowledge on how this works and that is actually i think that what really counts all the other work that linguists like us do might be important for linguists but what what it what it comes down to is to to sit down and to listen and be ready to learn to you know to to be humble and understand that there there's so much that has been erased of course by by academic disciplinarity over the um years and decades and centuries that continues to exist and that is so very important. So what we need is to acknowledge the knowledge, the the, um, epistemologies, the language, philosophies and theories, the, the insights in how you do things, how you build community and so on, of other people that have been made quite invisible in linguistics itself. And that's what we try to do I found that very enriching because um, within this framework of the spring school we had so much freedom to, to create ourselves, To even though it was just on Zoom and not, not real, just a virtual thing, we still were permitted to create something in this yeah. workshop.
1: Right and um, the, the interesting thing was really um, yeah for us to try to figure out if how it works that our linguistic knowledge can be um, yeah integrated in, in this discussion because um, yeah one always says people always talk even if they don't talk so um, this is how we we managed to bring that that aspect of silence and reflection into our uh, workshop. And uh, we thought, how could we we structure this workshop so that people can reflect about the topics that we are talking about? How can the people be involved in our thoughts? And um, we decided to do um, a mixture of presenting and reflecting. And this is the reason why we offered as moments for reflection between our presentations, short videos and soundscape, um, which are just mediative. So um, we we did a film on um, Giriama dancing that we recorded and then a, a film on Uh, water, with the sounds of water, and and the background of a Sudanese musician, we invited the participants to share with us their experiences um, of receiving or giving in terms of communicative actions. So we tried to give the participants time to reflect upon their own experiences on the topic that we have been talking about. Yeah, the workshop um, was intended to result in insights into how these actions and shared experiences turn into gifts and those gifts are spiritual gifts or linguistic gifts um, and even material gifts. Yeah, we we started with that, um, what I've said with this movie, that we uh, did in a a small Giriama village in Kenya. And um, then it was uh, followed by a a talk on reciprocity and sharing practices among the Digo. Um, The Digo are a Kenyan ethnic group um, who really spread along the coast, starting from um, Tanzania up to the north of Kenya. And uh, we were in an area that is, um, well, that is really um, influenced immensely by tourism. And um, so these practices of tourism have a lot of influence on, uh, well, the daily life and the income of the dego. And um, we were describing acts of reciprocity, acts that, yeah, where, where people give and take without asking and without um, thanking each other. And um, after that, we showed um, yeah, a small movie so that people can reflect upon it. And then, um, Anne, um, you gave insights into um, into a very well other kind of of sharing of um, smelling words and
0: uh, yeah exactly that was on the um on, on practices that have something to do with hospitality where gifts are given food and drink and a space to to sleep can be shared but what is really important is that this is not just anyhow but uh, hospitality in many, in many um, societies, is an art and uh, that doesn't mean hospitality towards people who share knowledge on the rules of this art, but um, hospitality is an art offered to anybody, also to people you do not know, you've never seen before, you do not understand because these people speak a different language and so forth, so somebody who would who would turn up in your village as a refugee, which which happened a lot in in, in in this part of the world, well into the 20th century, well into the 21st century. And it's just a reality. If somebody comes into your village as a refugee, you offer hospitality. You, you do not ask whether the person is able to understand. And um, the whole, Discussion derives out of a tale on someone's history, someone's family history, um, which begins in the um, late 19th century. But suddenly all this extends into into our time and doesn't stop there. And um, Lu happens to be one of these languages with an extensive smell, vocabulary, if you so want and some of these words mean much more than just um, a smell. They also refer to these practices of giving, of sharing, of giving gifts, um, because quite obvious smell is something that just evades you. You cannot shut it off. So this is something that always concerns both huh? the host and the guest and um this has been actually not only told in, in tales and to a linguist and so on, but this this quite a complex issue because um, behind these concepts of smells and hospitality and so forth self and other, there is um, a very complex theory um, on, on the meaning of transparency. A group of artists in the nineteen seventies in Khartoum have published a manifesto in which they wrote about this as well in a quite impressive way. So mm. what we what we offered in our workshop was little images, uh, film, uh, in order to to show something that is beautiful or good so that one can relax and then some insights into how our own research ended up in being learning from other people's theories and something that looks simple like people in a village in Kenya offering a dancing show to tourists is not at all simple and is based on a very complex on a very complex way, a very complex philosophy, very complex way of looking at the world and and explaining what is there.
1: And what was really interesting is that all this um, triggered uh, as I I think it really was a a really emotional discussion um, where we were also, um, where we received as an answer, not only a thought, but also a song. And um, it was really. Really, so good to see how yeah these these ideas of hospitality and reciprocity bring people to participate in a very special format. So um, it turned out for us to be quite interesting since our plan, our actual uh, no COVID plan, was um, to to give out little presents in forms of um, small perfumes. And what we did, we tried to bring the the smells and odors on the screen by using these um, senses and showing the perfumes. And um, I think it worked out quite well, because we offered people that we could send them after the workshop to them if they provide us with their, um, with their address, and they did. So, Anna, you sent out quite many
0: of those little perf- yeah, There's still some left, there's still some perfume bottles left, but we sent some, yes.
1: I think that um, this gave a short, um, well, a short impression of uh, what we have done and what we have presented and um, there will be some some um, scenes now that uh, will be played to you and um, yeah we hope that uh, we have given you an idea of what happened during our workshop so next you will be listening to some of these excerpts from the day Now I would like to talk about um, sharing practices among the DIGO who live in Tiwi, um, small town or an area um, in Kenya. Looking at sharing and at reciprocity in a society requires a multiple approach. We need to understand the concept of reciprocity, which is a basic element of human organization that involves the mutual exchange of goods services and support among individuals. Allowing for the distribution and augmentation of human agency in ways that individuals could not achieve alone, but here are also other aspects like, for example, the adaption to a rapid change in customary actions and language due to global influences, especially the influence of tourism and NGOs. Anne and I did a short research in Kenya before the pandemic. And we would now like to describe the development of a region in Kenya, which is connected with tourism and explain the practices of mutual support that are still practiced and those that are no longer practiced. And then we report on the realization of sharing and reciprocity in the extreme situation of the COVID pandemic. One of the poor places in Kenya is Tiwi, located on the south coast of Kenya, just between the two well known touristic places Mombasa and Diani Beach. For many decades, all kinds of tourism desires were to be found. The presence of tourists enabled locals from TV to sell goods and food. When the only hotel in TV burned down in 2009, the tourists failed to appear. Locals lost their income and had no chance to earn money otherwise. In the following years, people managed to find jobs in small-scale businesses or to get help from others. When worldwide COVID pandemic brought social and especially economic life to a standstill, tourism in Tiwi, which had been painstakingly rebuilt, recollapsed. The already impoverished digo society in Tiwi suffered a multiple loss. The description of the development of the Tiwi area is important to understand the background of our investigations and analysis. In a place where a practice of sharing was lived for a long time, external factors influenced the tradition relatively quickly. The Digo practice communal help as a continuation of a long tradition. The most practiced communal help is called Utsi. The whole community is involved in the act of Utsi, where a group of people who represent the community decide together who from their community needs help. The community thus cares for members who are in a precarious situation without putting them under pressure to apply for help and to return the help later on. Different in terms of reciprocity is mueria, which is more informal and focuses on groups of four or five families who help each other. Mueria is hardly practiced anymore due to the growing population and the growing poverty which make it impossible for people to help others besides themselves. Two other cooperative labor acts, which were still practiced around 1970 are not performed anymore. And also a slow disappearance of Utsi and Mueria is seen mainly because mutual help was no longer necessary due to starting paid work and a lot of money and sponsorship from NGOs. Older people, especially in Tiwi, continue to engage in these practices. What has remained, however, is the personal performance of the social practice of reciprocity daily and constantly. Sharing within the family, but also supporting less well-off people in one's own immediate environment are among the important social practices. On the one hand, having an income means feeding one's own nuclear family, but it also means passing on parts of the income to the extended family. And at the same time, owning food means also giving parts of the food to needy people in the neighborhoods. In the situation of sharing, the position of the giver is seen as honorable. And um, this honorable position um, Gives uh, a pride, a, a pride to the uh, a pride to the giver. However, the pride is kept to oneself, and the act of sharing is not communicated. So helping means being silent. Food sharing is certainly not an exceptional thing, and even among the Digo, it is more of a social norm than of uh, pe- than a peculiarity. So reciprocity remains an important factor here. Food sharing can also become a kind of game in friendly relationships. From the stories of a German who lived in a village in Tiwi, we learned how long the act of food sharing can take. And um, David, he told us this uh, story, so we uh, were able to, um, to give it to you to pass it further. He said, a neighbor brought me a plate of food. After eating it, I had to return the plate which would have been impolite without edible contents. So I put some of my dinner in the neighbor's plate and covered it with my own plate. The next day, the divo neighbor returned the plate, put something edible in it, and again covered it with a plate of his own. This exchange went back and forth a few times until I ended the exchange by bringing the full and covered plate to my neighbor, but then took my own plate back home. So this is what he told me, and um, as can be seen here, social concepts such as politeness, reciprocity, or sharing overlap and blur, and must always be considered in conjunction and never as individual concepts. In taking sharing for granted, Ashil Mbembe repeatedly refers to a possible world without borders that is a common world that is shared, a world that undoes the past procedures of dividing up and brings back the normality of community, the common and the human. And also, Felvin Sar sees the future of the African continent in the reflection of the mainly young African population on common values and on acceptance of the existing respect for each other. The global approach of the two scholars is found in smaller forms of society where sharing is seen as part of normal everyday life. Among the Digo, sharing or working together to accomplish a task or to solve a problem is a normal part of social life. It is worth considering how social practices change in particular situations in crisis situations. COVID has changed the situation in which mutual help is required in that sharing from one's own property is hardly possible anymore. However, it is possible to ask for help from an external party for acquaintances for neighbors and for friends whom otherwise um, oneself would support and no one boasts that they have helped um, that they have helped or that they have arranged help. This is the current form of reciprocity in the pandemic, where it is evident that the social practice of mutual aid and support continues in ways that deviate from the normal practice but remains in the sense that help is guaranteed in some form. Honoring help is indigo-linguistically expressed in the thank you phrase, muhondo zavivio." thank you, tomorrow again. <coughs> Receiving is recognized as normality and a repetition is hoped for. muhondo zavivio." thank you, tomorrow again, informs the giver that there is definitely still a need for further support. What we as Europeans or as NGO workers who are in contact with the DIGO people must be aware of is that as much as the phrase could be considered impolite in any context other than the DIGO context, it is extremely polite and appreciative, and in no way represents a request for further help the next day. It is a phrase of immense respect and honor Thank you, tomorrow again. Even though the old concepts of coping together have changed, the internalized reciprocal actions can still be found in Tiwi now. We speak of internalization here because our research has shown that sharing seems to be such an internalized topic that talking about it and asking questions about it led to astonishment of what was considered a completely banal and normal act. This gives a picture of how the act of sharing has changed. As we mentioned at the beginning, communal sharing acts have become less important in the past decades and have been at least partly replaced by individual sharing acts. By shifting aid from the communal to the individual level, meaningful concepts such as mueria or Uzi lose their meaning, leading to a complete loss of knowledge of these sharing concepts. But even though the concepts and sensational publicly practiced actions disappeared, the practice of sharing remained. However, this was deprived of its public performance. Interesting observations were made with regard to expressions of gratitude during an aid operation that was intensified by a German aid organization in Tiwi with the outbreak of the COVID pandemic. When the Kenyan government declared a lockdown at the beginning of the pandemic, it only took about two weeks before the people of Tiwi, most of whom had no reserves, began to starve. The organization that has been based in TV for 15 years, stepped up the food distribution and included people who had not been affected by the distribution before. And even when the project leader, uh, who is a German was on site, she observed people coming, receiving the food and leaving without thanks. It is important here to separate thanking as a linguistic practice from gratitude as an emotion. The explicit expression of gratitude as a linguistic practice is universally less common and less taken for granted than the expression of it, as is common in European cultural contexts. So it can be assumed that social reciprocity is based more on a silent agreement regarding the rights and duties people have, and not so much on verbal expressions of gratitude. Thank you, tomorrow again. The procedures of the Digo in Tiwi are therefore not an exception, but rather a worldwide found common practice. These practices of not expressing things will not create misunderstanding within the same community, group or religion, but are likely to cause difficulties if the safe space in which the practices are habitually carried out is left. So, even when Digo is not used, cultural concepts carry over and are adopted into the other language. The concept of reciprocity and gratitude in Tiwi is found in an interesting multicultural space filled with Digo, with Kenyans from other parts of the country, with expatriates, with NGO workers, and with tourists. COVID has changed the situation in which mutual help is required, in that sharing from one's own property. Uh, property is hardly possible anymore. So however, it is possible to ask for help from an external party for neighbors and friends whom one otherwise supports, for example, from the NGO. But still no one boasts that they have arranged help. This is the current form of reciprocity in the pandemic, where it is evident that the social practice of mutual aid and support continues in in ways that deviate from the normal practice, but remains in the sense that help is guaranteed in some form. Many of the people in the area make their living from tourism and thus encounter English speakers who place a special cultural value on saying thank you as an important aspect of politeness. But is saying thank you the most important thing we expect from people? In TV, the digo people who can give are grateful, and this is the answer to a silent call for help. And they can say, Thank you tomorrow again. Reciprocity as a reply to Mayday.
0: you The song was in Nubian, a language spoken in in the Sudan. Another language spoken in South Sudan, up the Nile, is called Luo. And um, Luo is uh, a language I've been interested in for many years. It's a little bit special to me because it connects me with another thing. Well, actually that we've been interested in together uh namely smells and tastes. Lu is one of these languages that have a huge vocabulary for smells and for tastes um and this vocabulary has not been derived you know from other words like in English we have fishy derived from fish but in Lu these words are underived words huh? and uh some examples that were compiled back in the day uh by Joseph Modesto and um, a group of Luo language activists in Omdurman, include the following examples. I give you what they gave me. Chau is fish before being cooked. Kur, a nice smell, incense. Chu non-castrated he-goat. Cher, smell of urine. Yam smell of honey. Watch is fermented flour. Paid rotten meat, cage, smoke which brings tears into one's eyes, gur, smell of termites, kot, smell of pounded sesame, then we have wed, that's the smell of roasted meat, puch, a recently dug out root, chung, smell of a snake and yung, smell of dirt. So freshly dug out roots in a garden Smell pooch. Also, moldy books smell pooch. Well, even though gardens offer cool and shady places where one being surrounded by lots of pooch, maybe with a moldy book to read, can recover from a tedious journey, from a long day on Zoom or whatever, um, the smell more closely related to hospitality um, as an art of offering comfort to a guest and so on is kur. And Kur is uh, the nice smell of perfume, huh? if you, as you've just learned. To make a gift of perfumed oil, something oh. like this, for example, or um, flowery smelling soap transcends the boundaries between strangers and offers healing. That's what Kur does. Pierina Akelo Zuber, an elderly lady who taught Milou then, found a very powerful way to explain this to me by providing an example from her own family history. The key to this story is actually names. Pierina's first name has something to do with the introduction of Christianity through um, the Comboni mission um, from Verona, Italy. Pierina, an Italian name. Her second name is a Luo name that refers to her being born right after twins have been born in the family. And the last name is actually the name of a 19th century Ottoman Egyptian slave trader, whose um, uh, name is Al-Zubar Rahma And this ma- name has been given to her grandfather after Al-Zubar Rahma spared her grandfather's expecting parents from slavery after having attacked and destroyed their village in Baha El in South Sudan. The core of Pierina's story, which is very important to understand what's going on here, goes like this. And he, that's the slaver, took some soap and gave it to a call and said you if your wife delivers and if she delivers de- if she delivers a son then his name should be Zubair and if she delivered a girl then this girl should be called by the name of my mother Zainab, which is Zainab in in, in this part of the story Pierina created a framework in which she wanted it to be situated not a story on binary oppositions between well-defined groups, slavers and their victims, in this tales about the in this tale about the possibilities of life in a ruined world, but on encounters between different people and the sovereignty which individuals can claim in these encounters. Soap, which is referred to as jabune, from Arabic sabun or maybe Italian sapone or Swahili sabuni is a very particular gift. Even though it can be conceived as a simple offering to the poor, it has a different meaning here. The smell word that expresses the scent of um, chabune is, as we've just learned, kur, a nice smell, and um, is also used to describe the aroma of perfume and incense in a situation of hospitality. In Arabic, the word for, for such things would be bakhur, sounding a little bit similar to the low smell term. Such aromatic substances, bakhur and uh, soap and perfume oil, um, in the context of festives, festive occasions such as childbirth, marriage, and so on, are gifts that index hospitality and aesthetics that permeate Social life in various ways. Um, there's a wonderful work by um, an, an anthropologist and um, scholar of Islam, Dina Jung, called uh, Ethnography of Fragrance, where she describes how perfume, aromatic plants, and incense were used in Adan, Yemen. Um, The fine art of perfumery based on religious ethics of cleanliness and purity as it is practiced in East Africa, including the Sudan, both Sudans, we should say, was actually strong, strongly influenced by Yemeni or Adani aromatics and olfactory rituals through trade networks across the Red Sea and the Indian Ocean, for example, and perfumes and and such precious fragrances um, not only used as cultural finery there but to purify the home and to create sacred olfactory spaces what people did was to perfume the walls of mosques and prayer room or by offering fragrant gifts uh, as blessings to guests that's very important so when zubair the slaver spares Akol and Avolo, who are expecting Pierina's grandfather from enslavement, and offers his name for their child. He does something that following Pierina's interpretation here, um, we can only understand as a performance of hospitality and benediction, um, maybe something like Baraka in Arabic. The embodied language practice at work in encounters with strangers um, gets structured in a grammar of fragrance. And is theorized as a normative form of social interaction. Um, Dina Jung writes about that kind of theorizing uh, such gifts. Uh, I quote: Instead of being an issue of Jamal beauty, Muslim theoreticians reflected upon perfumes in the context of discussing the matters of Dahara, purity, adab, courtesy, refinement, and darf, elegance. The perfumery production has traditionally been part of pharmacy, Shaydala, and often been explained in the so-called Adab literature and its encyclopedias. End quote. So this theoretical approach, if you so, want, involves the use of a large terminology related to fragrance and aroma in Arabic too. Um, it's it's uh, stunning what, what you can uh, refer to there like a large smell terminology found in languages such as Luo, these extremes these words do not exclusively refer to just olfactory experiences, but to the contexts in which these experiences are culturally and socially meaningful, and to the practices that require specialized discursive techniques here. From a Sudanese perspective, Piarina's story offered a mooring of local language theory to shared knowledge about such social processes, which are very, very central. The Lou term kur is a bit similar to Arabic Bahur in terms of the cultural meanings it has um, and the way uh, in which it conveys um, meanings about aromatic and practices and rituals attached to them. It expresses ideas about language as embodied social behavior and fine art, as well as the spiritual connectedness of different people, the living and the dead, the individual and the world and so on. In this respect, smell words and proper names are theorized in rather similar ways. So it's no, it's, 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 um, it's absolutely, Understandable that the story combines the two of them, and that happens quite often. It's about language, about the um, invisible bonds between the self and others. But then there was another term on smells that came up later in my new lessons in Omdoman, and that was bath, which translates as neutral, transparent. In order to understand the level of uh, the relevance of transparency as a social smell in a society bearing very difficult experiences of war and slavery and so on, we might wish to turn the gaze to arts. The Sudanese painter Kamala Ishak is one of the artists who published a text called the Crystalist Manifesto in the Alayam newspaper in Khartoum in 1976. Um, Ishak and her colleagues were members of the famous Khatun School, one of the tremendously important modernist movements in African arts in the 20th century. And she's quite an eminent figure. The goal of the Crystalists Manifesto in the 70s was to recover transparency and connection between people and between the self and the world. In order to achieve this, they set out to create a new language, because all the other languages have lost their integrity and their, their, their transparency in that um, colonial experience and imperial setting. Um, so as an aesthetic and critical language, this new language would emphasize the notions of pleasure and knowledge in order to permanently abolish differences and boundaries this would endow the art of adab courtesy with different meanings by using its idea not as a means to affirm social order with all its hierarchies but to critique it the shared historical experiences of violence were dressed as a seemingly endless series of disruption and as experiences that point at a pass that is not over. In central Sudanese tsar, spirit possession technique and religion, an important topic of Ishak's art, which he paints over and over again, the spirits are conceptualized as winds. And in the way in which they are endowed with certain qualities and functions, these winds resemble smells, a whiff of perfume, wave of uprootedness if you so want thinking about the connections between the spirits or winds and memory anthropologist susan kenyon has written i quote her because it's quite insightful i think the categories of spirits through grounded in a specific historical moment do not refer to single periods of the sudanese past but rather incorporate different levels of memory in the past stretching into the present. This is what several writers refer to as palimpsest memories describing similar processes elsewhere in Africa, in which events from different historical moments are compressed into a single memory, end quote. To create a language that resists segregation and overcomes boundaries would not only mean to create a language that could be used outside ritual practice turning a form of spirit language into an everyday language. Which is the point here, but it could also be used to create a form of expression that would do justice to palimpsest memories like the kaleidoscopic view of the world when seen through a crystal. The fragmented nature of reality would become conceivable and is precisely, it is precisely transparency as the most prominent property of the crystal that encodes in a metaphoric way an understanding that fragmentation already excludes the notion of boundaries. In Lou, as we have just seen or heard, transparency as an olfactory concept translates into bath, neutral, breath, what remains when there's nothing on which a boundary could be fixed is one's breath, air, a whiff, but nothing more. And yet we think the ultimate sign of life. Sunomna crew than a that you dine, Babwell coom, ni paniba. Giant sunomna crew would die, that you dine, Babwell coom, ni panibae wooden. More frague. Giant that you so it means taking care of ourselves, taking care of the ones who do not have and in a community where you find uh, vulnerable people and if you've been in if you've been vulnerable before, or you've been in a situation where you have less, you tend to give more, you tend to share a little. So it, it, um, it becomes a, a common place. So thank you for listening. And if you would like to get in touch with us, you can find our contact details in the show notes and we would be happy to um, receive messages from you
1: yeah and last but not least the next episode in the series will come out on the 5th of july goodbye farewell and greetings to everybody
0: thank you for listening to the podcast of the unesco chair in refugee integration through languages and arts a podcast series to make you think more information about work can be found on the website of the University of Glasgow www.gla.ac.uk. Thank you very much.